It's the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, special episode number 100. 100 episodes, over 100 hours for your listening enjoyment. I'm your host, Brian E. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Very special today, I have a special guest, Caleb Giddings. And I've titled this episode, Scenes from the Kids' Table. Uh, For those of you that know Caleb and I as uh, uh, coming up to carry the torch, our good friend Daryl Bolke calls us the kids' table. So we're going to just talk about gun guy stuff. Nothing really in particular that pertains to le or concealed carriers so a kind of a departure from your normal episode here uh but before we get into all that fun stuff today's episode is brought to you by manis manis x upgrade your dynamic shooting skills with the mind the mantis x blackbeard x the ultimate tool that combines the manis x and the blackbeard Gives you the ability to analyze multiple target engagements in real time and get constant feedback on how you can improve your shooting skills. Connect to the app to access drills, get scored, and compare your range sessions. Customize your settings, and you can expect product support from ManusX with app updates and software updates. Get the Blackbeard X and take your skills to the next level. There's my pitch for Manus X. If you haven't used the Manus products, I've got one. Uh, My good friend David has one, and I can tell you they will save you a ton of ammunition uh, by being able to get some real-time feedback. Uh, I actually was building belts the other day, and David brought a G45 out that was mounted with the Manus X, and and I actually came home and set mine up. It was exceptional. Uh, also, CCW Safe, a legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. Go to ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty 10. That'll get you a little break on your membership for the first time. And as always, EDC Belt Company, the most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market today, hands down, period, end of discussion. I'm not only the founder, I'm also a user. Uh, But stay tuned on the EDC Belt Company website. We got some exciting stuff that's probably going to launch mid-June, July. So without further ado, let's bring in Caleb Giddings. And we're live with first-time guest... Caleb Giddings. How are you, Caleb, other than drinking water, just right in the middle of it? Well, I thought you were going to do a, you know, a two and a half minute intro like all of these other podcasts do. Oh, man, I record that early. So the guests, all they got to do is just talk. So I like that. I appreciate that. Other podcasts take note. I've been so busy since, you know, uh, so for people who don't know who I am, uh, I used to just be some journalist guy, and now I'm the marketing manager for Taurus, and I have been 
just been real busy. And especially since NRA, it's been nonstop. I've either been at events or traveling to matches, you know, throwing a little dash of that old uh, Air Force Reserve training in there. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's, busy. it's a busy life. It's a good life. But it's it's I'd like to sleep in my own bed for more than a week. Yeah. But but here you are as the first time guest on the uh, off duty on duty podcast, as we've dubbed it. And uh, right now I was looking at the numbers. Uh, Daryl Bulky is the number one seat for the most hosted guest. Given our, our uh, mutual history with the Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup, Daryl dubbed us the kids table a few years ago. <laughs> He did dub us the kids the, the kids table a few years ago, which it's funny when you think about that, you know, uh, because if we were in any other industry but the firearms industry, we're both relatively experienced guys in our early 40s. We would be the old people like if we were in like the booze business or something like that. We're the old guys in that room. But in the firearms industry and especially in the revolver space, we're like. Fresh-faced youth. Right. And uh, both of us got a dose of that in 2021 uh, when you, me, and I think Chris Baker were the, and not not Lucky Gunner, Chris Baker, another Chris Baker, were the, uh, the only three dudes under 50 there. So that was kind of yeah. interesting. Um, but let's, let's dive off into like, I I've seen, we've been on a bunch of primary and secondary podcasts together and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but, but what kicked you off into the gun world? Oh my gosh. Uh, hang on. Hey, are, are people actually going to be able to see this or is no. this going to be total no, audio? Total audio. Oh, okay. Cause I was going to show these people the book, the giant coffee table book that I had when I was eight. That's like small arms of the world. And it's got, pictures of guns and i mean it was written in the 1950s and it has a very 1950s flair to it like when they talk about like you know tiny little european autos being not very good guns for police work which they're right but um it's got that very like we just won world war ii and now we're fighting the commies vibe to it it's fantastic uh you grew up that with was, that one too yeah that one was and on my, my dad was a cop so same thing yeah yeah so my dad was an L.A. area cop uh, and I grew up with that book. And, you know, I, I think he took me to the gun range for the first time when I was eight. Uh, he gave me a 22 Magnum, a Marlin 25 M, the bolt action 22 Magnum for my probably I want to say like 14th birthday. But I don't remember. Uh, I killed a lot of things with that gun. I ended up giving it to one of my nephews. But, yeah, it's uh, so that was kind of what started it. And then. You know, I, uh, uh, I, uh, it wasn't really though. It, it was one of those where like, I was a very, for most of my adult life, I was a very, you know, low information gun owner, right? Like a lot of the dorks out there on the internet. And I thought I knew a lot of stuff. And then around Oh six, I started getting into competition shooting and I realized I didn't know anything about shooting. And then uh, I, you know, I had bounced around with jobs and stuff like that. And I finally landed full-time in the firearms industry. I ended up going back into the military and I learned a lot about what I didn't know anything about. And I still don't know anything, but I know a little bit less of nothing now, but it's been, 
it's been mostly, I mean, it's been really my entire adult life that I've been into the gun thing. And I really, you know, for me, my passion really is the shooting sports uh, and um, the shooting sports and revolvers in particular. But yeah, it really started when I was a kid with small arms of the world. And then that was fed upon, you know, like, like fed by my dad, who again was a cop and also at the time was still carrying a wheel gun. And he had the fucking coolest wheel gun. He had a, uh, he had a cougar, which for people who don't know is a Ruger security six frame with a Colt Python barrel on it. And he still has that gun. And when he dies, I am getting that gun and I will fight all three of my brothers. If they have any idea, if they've got any ideas about getting that gun themselves, they're going to get, we're going to, they're going to catch these hands. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly enough, like our history of like handgunning kind of, is very similar. Like the small arms mm-hmm. of the world book. Dad was a cop. Uh, dad carried a wheel gun, you know, things like that. I, I think a lot of people became aware of Caleb Giddings on the whole top shot first season. thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That was what's crazy about that is how long ago that was now and how that still resonates with people. Cause that was 10, I know 13 longer, 13 years ago was, so we actually filmed that at the very, beginning of 2010 and it aired uh 2010 you know shortly thereafter and yeah that was 13 years ago now that's crazy i it feels like such a long time ago in terms of my career that sometimes i forget and then when i actually look at it i go oh because it was yeah well i mean if you if you think about it if somebody is buying their first gun today they were like eight when that show aired oh my god yeah, no, and they're like, no, but that's the crazy thing. I actually had, uh, that's that's wild because like somebody could have watched Top Shot with their dad, and is now buying a gun. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way that makes me. Like, this is supposed to be the kids' table. We're the youth. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that was uh, that was a similar similar experience when I was training a police academy as an adjunct and me and my best friend made a top gun reference and nobody laughed. And I said, what's the deal here? And and they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, top gun, the movie, like I feel the need for speed. And like we did the, the high five thing and it it was just blank stares. And I said, man, that movie came out in like 86. And this young gal in the front row says, well, I was born in 97. I was like, they weren't even alive. Oh, I get it. And that's been five, yes. you know, five years ago. So, yeah, I get that. I, I I have the distinct pleasure of experiencing that basically once a month, every month when I go <laughs> to my other job working for the government, and I have all these wee baby airmen who I just had did a, a class for a couple of brand new defenders, security forces members who weren't even twenty one yet, and you know. I was just trying to think of what I must look like to them because I have to, I must be just positively ancient standing over there being like, well, back in 2002, when I was issued a handgun, they only have right-handed holsters. So I just learned to shoot right-handed and they're like 2002. I wasn't born then. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a interesting. There's a threshold somewhere and nobody tells you when you step across it. Nobody. Yeah. Um, Well, my personal vision is that I'm not old until I'm as crusty as Daryl. So uh, I don't think I'll ever be old if that's my that's my barometer. 
is I until I'm as crusty as Daryl, I'm not old. So I'll be I'm fine, right? Well, it it cracks me up. Uh, you know, I, I went and did a gig with Daryl and Amarillo a couple weeks ago, and you know, he kind of downplays his abilities with a firearm. Like, well, you mm-hmm. know, these guys are really good shooters. And I watched him put on school. Like, shoot, I was on my game for most of the most of the demos and stuff. But he demoed a couple of exercises, and I was like, "Why do you sell yourself short? Like, you are way, way more high level skilled than you you present." And he's like, oh, "I'm having a good day." But when I think, but that's one of the things, right? And I think that's one of the advantages. And it also cracked because I've seen Daryl shoot at a really high level as well. And it cracks me up when I see people like trying to argue with him about, you know, some sort of technique uh, or something like that. Like, oh, it's, you know, he's just a cop. He can't shoot that well. I'm like, no, Daryl, Daryl can shoot pretty freaking well, guys. Like we're, we're going to put him on blast, but you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Guys, like, Daryl can shoot pretty good. You probably shouldn't underestimate him. Yeah, no, that's 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 one of the things. You know, maybe, I know it's funny, right? Like, when you think about, especially the revolver space, and, like, for so for people who haven't ever been to the Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup in Gunsight, or at Gunsight in November, it's in November, right? Hang yeah. on. Pat Rogers Memorial. It's like the yes, 17th this year, I think. It's a weekend before Thanksgiving. That's how I remember it. November 18th through the 20th this year. Uh, you guys should go. It's it's actually shockingly affordable. Like when you look at the uh, the instructors that are going to be there, the fact that it's only uh, what is it? Where's the Seven, price appeared? It's like 700 bucks. 700 bucks. Yeah. It's 700 bucks. It's 3 days of instruction. There's Daryl uh Greg Elifritz, Chuck Haggard, uh Wayne. Wayne Dobbs, Dave Dolan, Mark Fricky, you, you me. <laughs> like right. Like you look at that list. Every time I look at that list, I'm like, how did I end up on this list? The interesting thing about the whole community is it's uh and, and to toddle into the revolver rabbit hole, is there are a lot of people that show up to that that caught the tail end of the revolver era Mm -hmm. and wanted to go back and revisit it all the way to professional level dudes that carried revolvers for real that never really got any training on them or never really Mm -hmm. got what I would call an acceptable level of training. Um, And I'll give an example. Like this is not Chuck Haggard now, but Chuck talked about, yeah, they gave me a 686 and like a day at the range to go qualify. And some guy kind of coached us. And now, granted, he's very instructor level, very proficient now, but there were a lot of people at the revolver roundup that were like, yeah, my first year as a military policeman or a cop or a, you know, whatever, we got a revolver and they were just like, yeah, if you can park six rounds over there, you're good. And they right. never like- dove off into the minutiae. So. Well, and the other thing, too, is the like I have seen attendees at the roundup that are younger than I am, which is makes me feel good about what we're doing. And they're there because they're like, hey, what is this? You know, they're there. And I do not mean this as a slight in any way, but to them, it's this cool retro thing, right? Like they're doing it for the same reason that, you know, people buy old cars and restore them and stuff like that, which 
as an aside, uh, the other side effect of aging that I'm not super comfortable with is when I think of old cars, they're from like the 60s and 70s, not from the 80s and 90s. Yep. I get that, man. Like, uh, for sure. Like my first car was a 75 Ford Bronco and it was like, now I wish I still had it, you know, but back right. then it was just a car, but, uh, Oh yeah. You could restore that thing, tune it up. That'd be a fun car. My first car was a 1993 Mitsubishi Mighty Max pickup, which is now 20 would now be 20 years old. Uh, and that thing had, it had nothing in it. It had a four cylinder engine and a stick shift and it had no AC. It had wind down windows. Like it was, it was basically like, here is a small pickup truck. That's this is all this truck is ever going to be. I love that thing, man. Drove that. I drove that. Tore the thing all over Southern California. But if you if you look at the revolver thing, it's kind of the same concept, right? Like mm-hmm. if we look back at say the classic Smith and Wesson Model Ten, no adjustable sights, thirty eight special, double action revolver. Like it is as basic as you could possibly make it. And now they're classic cars. When when we were growing up, they were just another revolver, right? Fast forward 20 years, and it's like, oh, those were built really well and really cool. Um, when it's funny, because when you look at, you know, like the classics, right? So I had one of the first revolvers I had was I had a uh, 1937 Brazilian contract Smith, right? So the 1917s that they made a whole piss load of in 37 and sold to Brazil for their army or whatever. And I had one of those and it was incredibly accurate. The trigger was still factory and it was better. And I mean, that trigger was better than if, so when, if I, if I buy a, a new, and Hang on, I got to caveat this because people will think I'm talking shit. All right. Yes, guys, I do work for Taurus. Uh, however, I have got thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds on modern production Smiths and modern production Ruger. So this is not me dogging these other brands because of who I work for. This is just a statement of where those products are at right now. So I buy a new production Smith and Wesson. I take all the guts out of it, clean them up, and then I drop in a bunch of Apex parts, and I get a pretty okay trigger out of it, right? And that's that's me doing a, basically an armor level amount of work on it. This 1937 Smith and Wesson that I had had a better trigger just in it from existing than any of the Apex pimped out triggers that I've done myself, and that was just the factory gun and it was so nicely made and so one and and such a great thing and it was a commodity at the time right you know they sold tens of thousands of them to the brazilian military and they got you know re-imported back to the states beat to shit re-blued re-nickled whatever because back then they were a glock 19 you know they that's what they were they weren't there was it wasn't a special piece of engineering or something like that yeah so like i remember watching the old top shot episodes and everything and and i I assume you were pretty active in competition back then because i remember seeing like idpa competitor on the little sidebars and all that um and then so what brought you around to revolver competition that that's kind of intrigued me i was uh so i shot the so I, I, I did a little bit of it before Top Shot. I would dabble 
here and there. I, I always like shooting revolvers, right? If I was, you know, just going to the range to plink, which is something I don't do anymore. But if I was just going to the range to like punch holes in paper and make loud noises, I would always bring a couple of revolvers. Um, I, I did top shot. And then in 2011, I shot the inaugural IDPA world championship and I shot, um, uh, center, a semi-auto division. And I got destroyed. I didn't do well. And I didn't, I definitely didn't perform up to my expectation of my ability of my shooting ability. And part of that was because I treated every target, like I had extra bullets in the gun which I did, you know, cause I had extra bullets in the gun and extra reloads. So I didn't have the level of visual patience that I needed to really be successful at shooting some of the more complex target arrays. And I was like, what's a good way to do this? And I'm like, well, uh, these stages can only be 18 rounds long, 18 rounds long. And if you have a revolver, you've only got 18 rounds between the gun and what's on your belt. So let's give that a shot. Uh, so that was, that was kind of it was I started shooting revolver to help build up patience and build a patient relationship between my eyes and the trigger because what i was doing back then was the same thing that a lot of people do when they start shooting fast is they're letting the reset of the gun be their permission to shoot again and not getting their permission to shoot again from their eyes you know so and that's what i was doing is because i had a i the only xd that i ever liked was the original xdm competition 525 it had a good trigger. It had good sights, and I wasn't betting my life on it, so I didn't care if it malfunctioned. If like the grip safety froze up or something, right? I still like that gun. Uh, I still think it's a solid choice if you want to like just kind of dip your toe in the competition world. I don't even know if you can buy it anymore. I'm sure Springfield has discontinued it for something else. Um, but that gun, I would you know the trigger would re- it had a short reset, and I could I could feel the reset, and I'd feel the reset, and I'd be like time to shoot, even if my sights weren't like where they should be on the target, which resulted in a lot of, you know, poor quality of hits. And, you know, in IDPA, even back then, you had to be fairly accurate, even more so now since they changed the rules a little bit. And so I started shooting revolver and then I started liking revolver and I started and I felt like there was a connection that, that there's some kind of connection. I don't know. And this is the part that's silly, but I swear to God, there's some kind of mystical connection between revolvers and and you feel like a Jedi Knight. All right. You feel like you are using the force because you are doing all of these very minute, complex actions. Your triggers longer. Your sights are usually shittier uh, and you're doing all of these things. And it's it is the difference to me between driving a manual transmission car with no driver aids and driving a modern well-equipped automatic transmission car with radar guided cruise control and lane departure and all of this other shit i have to be sue i even to this day when i'm shooting a revolver on anything more complex than you know casually just whacking a target i have to be way more present in my shooting than i do if i'm you know running a gun with a three pound trigger and a dot yeah I would agree with that completely. Um, And there's so much lost art form in there, like Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to the trigger, like how many people understand steering the front sight with your trigger? Like, Oh, right. And on a, like right now I'm carrying a staccato because I'm getting ready to go to a dot class. And it was the only gun I had that was like service grade with a dot. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm like, you, you, you lose that. That goes completely out the window. It's just a button you press versus steering the whole ship with just your trigger finger. Like, oh, yeah. and that there's some, some connection you get that I I've tried to explain that to people. Like, you know, when you see your sight come up bad on a target and right at the last minute, you change the direction of the round with your trigger finger. Mm-hmm. Like you're never going to experience that minutia on, you know, a three and a half pound, 1911. You're just, it's going to yeah. go where it goes. Right. Um, yeah. The Jedi thing. That's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, correlation. Well, it's funny. Cause I took a, I actually took a break from revolvers for a while, specifically to go deep on 1911s and learn a lot about them and shoot a ton of them. And I've shot a, I I've shot if you, if between, if you look at like platforms, right. Uh, and broke it down. My big three platforms are revolvers. Number one, 1911s, number two, and then Glocks would be number three, you know, because we live in a, we live in a polymer frame striker fired world. And I've done, I've done a decent amount of shooting with Glocks. Um, but the big difference is like when I transitioned from shooting a even a 38 special revolver, which is very minimal recoil, to shooting, you know, uh 1911, it's like the gun is telepathic, right? I mean, I picked the 1911 up, but once, you know, the safety comes off and then the gun just goes off, you know, because it's the trigger, even a poor 1911 trigger. I have a what I would consider a, a trigger that's appropriate for duty in one of my 1911s right now. And it's like four and a half pounds, right? That's still half the weight of most of my revolver triggers. And the gun weighs more too. It's heavy as hell. Well, that, um, my top three were revolvers. Cause I competed with them for so many mm-hmm. years. Then, yeah, you did the PCC thing. Yeah, P- PCC. PC, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, the, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no My worries. Man, I apologize. I apologize. There's, yeah. <laughs> one are guys that can't shoot a pistol. The other ones are guys that can really shoot a revolver. No, I'm kidding. Sorry, yeah. PCC dudes. Uh, You're not wrong. You don't have to apologize to them. But, They're not people. <laughs> but, but mine was uh, revolvers, and then secondary was. Beretta 92 double action guns. I ran those oh gosh. years and then third was 1911s and all three of them. I've been to like a lot of formal training on how to maintain them because being a poor broke cop, you can't send your right. gun to the gunsmith all the time, no. which, which is one of the reasons I absolutely love the 92 platform because a, a monkey with a punch can really like keep that gun running versus some of the other, uh, you know, 1911s, you need a, a number two pillar file and a lot of skill. Uh, when- I just realized I've never totaled up the rounds I fired out of 92s or M9s. So that statement that I just made about Glocks being number three might not be correct because I have shot a lot of rounds. I mean, I've spent the, it was only until this year where, um, well, last year was when the Air Force Reserve finally managed to transition over to the new garbage. I mean, the Sig P. What the M18. <laughs> I hate that gun. And I, I don't know if Bruce Gray listened to the show. Bruce, it's not about who I work for. It's that I hate that gun. Okay. I would have hated it if I was a jur- if I was still a journalist. I would have hated it if I was just in the Air Force. I hate that gun. I hate the M18. It's it's it, it no good. Bad. Well do not like. I here's my open mindedness about that now that we're into that rabbit hole. Um yeah. 
guys in the I'm sure guys in the in the teens probably hated the the 1917s. The, the, oh, for sure. And the and the guys World War One, World War Two probably hated 1911s. I know because it was my era and yours as well in the military that everybody hated the M9. And look where those guns have gone. Right. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm not gonna lie. Okay, I know for a fact that if I had been in the you know big army when we transitioned from the 1911 to the 92, I'd be like, I don't want this aluminum frame crap with these sissy nine millimeter bullets. Give me my steel 45. Damn it! I totally, I totally recognize that, and I and I know that that is also part of why I don't like the M18. I also don't like the M18 because I think there's something fucked up in the gun, um, which there was something fucked up with some of the early Berettas. So my hope for the, and, and here's, here's the, the, the uh, very true statement. My hope for the actual line is that it gets better. Yeah. I want it to become a viable reliable service pistol because there is going to be a point in my career. I've still got, you know, at least eight years left. If I want to do my 20, there's going to be a point sometime in my career where I deploy with that gun and it may or may not be my primary given the role that I have. And if I deploy with a handgun, I want it to be reliable. I want it to know that if God forbid it comes out of my holster, it's going to work. So, right. you know, and I just, and right now, with the gun in the stages that it's in, I don't have that level of confidence. Maybe I will, you know, maybe that maybe it'll get, it got better. Yeah. And maybe. that's where I keep an open mind is like, I remember mm-hmm. the Beretta transition and people poo poo in that gun. And now look at the beauty that we get from LTT now. Like oh, it's man. just pure sex, man. When I've got my 92 that I shot the, uh, that I shot my fast coin with and I put an LTT and it's no longer in the iron sighted configuration. It's got an LTT sight on it. It's got a hollow sun dot on it. Cause I don't carry it or anything like that. Um, and I, that is my, you know, if I hadn't taken this job with Taurus, that was going to be my stupid people tricks gun. I was going to go catch all the shooting challenge Pokemon with it because it's got a, it's got a six pound DA trigger and a two and a half pound SA trigger. That gun is that that gun is telepathic to shoot. It just oh man, that was really easy. Yeah. So what got you into the instructor side of things? Uh on the so I taught a little bit before I went back into the Air Force. It was people were like, hey, can you teach like a shoot, you know, a concealed carry class or a shooting class or something like that? And I was like, sure. You know, I like money. Um, But I wasn't I wasn't yet a good instructor because I had a hard time translating what I could do with a gun into telling someone how to do it. So if you took one of my early classes and you didn't feel like you got good value for your money, I apologize. Uh, I was not as developed then as I am now. And I'm, and now I'm way more cognizant of the fact that I'm still learning. Uh, but what really pushed me into the instructor side of things was the military. I wanted to get out of being a straight leg, uh, straight leg security forces guy. And so in the air force, if you want to be a firearms instructor and also an armor, you have to go through security forces. And then you retrain into what's called combat arms. And that's where I'm at now. 
And I wanted to do that because it seemed interesting. It seemed close to what I like to do and you get to shoot machine guns. So yeah. So I did that. And the huge, one of the huge benefits of that for the instructor side was you actually have to go to a school to learn how to teach. And that was super beneficial. And at the time the school was really well ran. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I had a great time and I didn't really teach a lot of civilian side stuff for a long time until a couple of years ago when I started looking at open enrollment, revolver-specific classes, and then Daryl asked me if I wanted to come, you know, assistant instructor at the Roundup and, you know, talk about, like, speed shooting with a revolver, which is the block I'll be teaching again this year is revolver speed shooting. Uh, We're going to – if you guys come to the kids' table bay, Brian will do super-duper revolver accuracy, and then we're going to beat those triggers up and do speed. So it's going to be great. You'll have a good time. Um, But, yeah, it was was one of those that I fell into, and I discovered I really enjoyed it. You know, I enjoy teaching. I obviously – friggin' enjoy talking. Uh, and I think that a lot of what I do in the industry is to give me access to be able to teach, right? Like I market firearms and I try to get people to buy guns, but in everything I do, I'm also trying to sneak a little bit of knowledge in there, sneak a little bit of instruction in there. Feel similarly about that instructor wise. Like for me, like I never had a desire to be like, the open enrollment, like come get my patch or my coin or my, this or that, that, right. that was like never my jam. I just like passing along good knowledge. And I just accidentally ran into Daryl bulky and Wayne Dobbs, like, like totally happenstance. And they're like, Oh my God, how do you know so much about revolvers? And I'm like, yeah, give me that. Let me see it. Take it apart. I feel like Daryl's out here just collecting stray cats at this point, except they're, you know, shooters, stray children. Um, yeah, pretty much. And it was, it was really an odd like thing, but I, and I, I would do open enrollment from time to time. It, It was hard for me to convey to like normal earth people because the bulk of the shooters I were getting were like guys that were in that 1% that were just Mm -hmm. trying to get a little better. Uh, Not somebody that's like, well, this is my second handgun ever. And I've only fired 300 rounds in my whole life, maybe. And and it was, it was at cans or whatever, you know? So trying to convey that, um, that, that steered me away from it for a long time. But, but who was, uh, who do you think the biggest instructor mentor? Like, I know you've taken a bunch of open enrollment as I think we both have quite a bit of open enrollment classes under us, but who, who would you say influenced you the most in your teaching style? Oh, my teaching style. Uh, I, it's tough to say because you take bits and pieces from everybody. Um, honestly, the, the two guys, the most influential, uh, trainer for me was Todd Green, you know, and the legacy that he left, you know, both in the industry and the community, but he was one of the most influential guys. You know, he and I talked regularly. I had a tremendous amount of respect for him as a shooter and an instructor. So probably Todd would be the most influential in terms of my career path. The guy that I aspire to be able to teach like someday would be someone that a lot of people don't know about, which is weird. John Holshin. Um, I took a, one of the first classes that I took when I was really seriously getting into actually training, 
uh, and not just shooting because there is a difference between competition shooting and practicing for that and actually taking training classes, guys. And if you don't know the difference, you should explore it. But uh, John's class, John Holstein's class was one of the uh, one of the best pistol classes I've ever taken. And I remember it a decade later for how detailed he was. I never once felt like I was standing on a line burning ammo for no reason. Everything had a purpose and everything built off that previous purpose to a culmination. I never felt like we were lost in the sauce anywhere. So yeah, uh, that was probably like, if I could, if I could be like 75% as good a teacher as John Holshin someday, I'm set. I'm good. Yeah. It's interesting about Todd. I met Todd in 2000. When he, wow. he was working for, uh, I think Beretta, him and Ernest. Probably. Were, yeah. And, uh, I had shot at this local club and I was getting like, I was getting pretty sassy, you know? And, uh, they take me to this range up on the North Carolina, Virginia border at Oxford, which oddly enough, I shot a match where the match director from our local range totally put me into like the super squad of this deal. And I had no idea. I was like, yeah, Jason, Michael, we'll, we'll all shoot together. And they're like, no, 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 you're going to go play with the big kids. And they call off the squad. And it was Ernest, Todd green, Dave Harrington, uh, me, Justin dial, hell of a squad. <laughs> Justin dial. And then, uh, Oh gosh, I'll think of his name in a minute. Uh, Dave Savigny. And I was like, there's oh, a bunch of killers on that squad. Oh there's yeah. Like two national champions, you know, like, and they're like, like okay, it, big kid, go sit over yeah. there with those guys. And I mean, I was like, I don't even think I know how to shoot anymore. Uh, like, like it was so mind blowing and Todd, it was really funny because we didn't know each other. Well, we just see each other at matches and stuff. And, mm-hmm. I had no idea the influence that he would leave on the whole community at the time because he didn't seem very serious about the competition. He was always pressure testing something that he he wanted to know more about or he believed or he thought or or whatever the case may be. Um, So, for instance, like we shot a night match and he's like, hey, I want to use this and it was an early streamlight, you know, weapon mounted light on a Vertec mm-hmm. Beretta. And they're like, well, do you have a holster for it? And he's like, oh, oh yeah. And they're like, well, we're not going to score you. And he goes, I, I don't care. I already, I, I took yeah. second in the match overall during the day. I don't care. Like, right. And everybody else there was like, wait, what do you mean that that dude that doesn't want to really win the overall with his weapon light and all that? And he was just like testing ideas and training theories and all this stuff. And I, and I really caught on to that. I was like, Oh, that's like, I wish I was at the level. I didn't care whether I won or not, <laughs> you know, Oh man, but that would be, yeah, I, I would like to be able to not care whether or not I win. Um, what's yeah. And what was interesting was is Todd on Todd had such an, an analytical mind about this sort of stuff. You know, I, people don't know that 
it's you know it's been so long todd you know and a friend of his invented the glock striker control device which boy if you ever want to start an argument on the internet post a picture of the strike of you holstering at the appendix position with the striker control device and just watch people lose their shit about it Mm -hmm. and it's one of those where i'm like uh, if i had glocks i would have it on all my glocks i don't have any glocks however if you don't want one on your Glock, I'm not going to tell you you're dumb or wrong for doing it, you know. But, man, people get whew, spooled up over that thing. Yes, they do. That is for certain. But, yeah, my my top two would probably be uh, Ernest and, mm. and Wayne Dobbs. Those two guys, like, if I could just take, like, their brains and put them together and then just put it into mine, like, that would be you know that that would be like my level of aspiration to be at and uh, oh yeah but but todd was in there i just never trained with him yeah uh it's impossible to have that this conversation and like if we're if i'm really being honest it's impossible to have this conversation because there's so many like you know you could ask me this exact same question tomorrow todd the answer of todd would not change right Mm -hmm. because you know todd was a friend and he really did make an impact on me but like other instructors that I aspire to train as well as Ernest, Craig Douglas, you know, Wayne, uh, everybody, Daryl, everybody that I know that I look up to as an instructor, there are parts of their teaching style that I want to be like, yep, I'll take some of that. Yep. I'll take some of that. Like for like Craig as an example, is a great example of somebody who is able to take incredibly complex technical applications of things and make them so that a stupid person can understand it and not only understand it, perform it. I'm like, I don't under, he, you know, he's talking about like all kinds of crazy, like muscle things and stuff like that. And he's like, okay, now, but if you put your arm here and then do that, it'll work. And I was like, Holy shit, how did you, that, how did that, how did you do that? So yeah, you know, there's, there's so much out there and there's such a list too of guys that I still haven't yet trained with that I want to train with because I have deep regrets that I never trained with Pat Rogers and I never trained with Louis Auerbach while they were still alive. Same here completely. And the bad thing was I had signed up for a Pat Rogers class in 2015, like a one of his classes, he was coming to a range in Oklahoma and somebody convinced me to go and I was like, okay. And I had to back out like a month before it went down Oh, and it, it just family stuff. And I was like, oh man. And since then I have never canceled. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to miss the funeral, but uh, I got to go to this. Yeah. Um, and, and right now, like high on my list is Tom Givens that that guy really changed. Not so much the technical aspect of shooting, but the mindset of training other people and how serious it is. Right. Yeah. Tom, Tom is an institution at this point. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but the fact that the range master firearms instructor certification is the only firearms instructor certification that I am aware of that is accepted by some States in lieu of an NRA certification to become a, you know, state pistol, you know, concealed carrier, whatever instructor. And that that's uh, and it's not just like one state it's multiple states will be like if you show them your range master certificate they're like oh yeah you're good to teach concealed carry classes or security guard classes or whatever and the only other licensing organization that i'm aware of that you can do that with is the nra which is really the only thing the nra is good for these days but i didn't say that out loud either um 
well. <laughs> well, Man, you- no, I, I, yeah, Tom, I, I haven't taken a class from Tom either. And getting the that instructor cert is also high on my to do list. I need like another month in the year. That's just I don't have any of my regular stuff. I don't have any Air Force stuff. I can just go take classes for an entire month. Yeah, and. I'm getting ready to retire. So it, the good part is I'll have the time. The bad part is the budget's going to be restricted. So, right. Well, you, are you telling me that you're not going to live large on that retirement, that police retirement salary? Oh, it, it'll be enough that, you know, ramen and water will get me through, but you know, who, right. who hadn't, who hadn't had barracks ramen? It's good. Like mm, throw a tuna I'll pack keep the lights it. on. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those retirement salaries when people are like, Oh, well you're retired. You know, you must be nice. It's like, Hey man, you know, like every, every single person I know who is retired from the military or law enforcement has to go get a job. They don't just, you know, it's not like they're like, Oh yeah, I retired as an E8 from, you know, 25 years of active duty. And now I'm set for life. No, they go back to work. They're like, I would like to, you know, and it's smart because, you know, you've got still some decent years left in front of you and you can go and use your retirement check to pay your friggin' mortgage or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, that having a couple of other businesses doesn't hurt, but, uh, mm-hmm. but shifting gears. This episode brought to you by EDC Belt Co. Yeah. Or, or as I call it, the Adopt-A-Cop program. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I had belts at uh, Daryl and I's class and I said, some guy, a couple of guys bought them and I was like, Hey, welcome to the adopt a cop silver program. And they're like, what? And I go, I make two other colors. So if you buy the other two, then you're golden and platinum. So anyway, but, uh, is the, uh, for people who don't actually have an EDC belt or aren't listening to this, and this is not a, because I'm friends with Brian or anything like that. I have two of them and they're the only freaking belts I wear unless I am going somewhere that requires me to wear a leather belt because it's like a dress occasion or I'm doing air force stuff and I have to wear my duty belt. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot, man. And I'm like, I, I appreciate it. Cause it's uh that is the only, that is the sole reason I'm able to retire at 21 years. Uh, Cause it's, it just, it picks up just enough that I can like, okay, it's not going to hurt my lifestyle too bad. And I get to work Mm. on belts and not have to deal with the criminally insane. So there's that. Well, you do still have to deal with the criminally insane because you know, some of these, some, some gun people out there aren't exactly, you know, they don't have all their ducks like neatly lined up in a row. And I do all the customer service from you. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do the customer service piece, but so let's what okay go ahead what's the dumbest question you've gotten because like i you know obviously i said you know i work for a gun company i see the dumbest questions you can imagine but i uh i had a guy that said this belt doesn't work and i said what do you mean and he goes well if i wear it right side up it doesn't hold my gun right and i went okay, run this by me. Like, I need you to like physically take some pictures and tell me what your idea of wearing the belt right side up. And he shows me and he has the belt inside out. And I'm like, Velcro to the outside, thread it in the direction of your gun. And he sends me a message back and he goes, I'm really sorry. I wasted your time. (laughs) I was like, Oh my God, like it's a belt dude. There's no right or wrong way. Just as long as the attachments are facing out. Like, Oh my, 
Wow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I actually thread mine away from my gun because yeah. I find that that fold over part right there, it allows it actually for me, it allows the gun to move more with my body, mm. which I need for comfort when I'm carrying appendix. But yeah, yeah. there's no uh, there, as it turns out, there's a wrong way to wear a belt. Holy crap. Uh, well, the other thing, out. good job, dude. The other thing we we put a stiffener under the Velcro on that side specifically mm. for like if you wear appendix and you want to run the tail over your belt, there's like a six inch swath under there that you can mount the gun on and yeah. still have the same support or you can move it around. But I'm like, there's no wrong way. Just figure out how it works for you. Uh, but you know, some people need instructions to open a cereal box too. So there's like, it's a thing, but and I don't get like offended at, at uh customer service questions. Cause I remember a time when like, I was like, D- what is a DCC clip? What does that mean? Right. Or, you know, what's a, what's a soft loop? Like it, and, and that was in the not so distant past because in my era of holsters, it was made of leather and came from Milt Sparks or Galco as a really bad, like knockoff of a Milt Sparks, or you had to send a self-addressed stamped envelope with a cashier's check in it to some company called blade tech. That was a PO box. And like six weeks later, this holster showed up like that was my era of like going was, from leather to kydex right so that was pretty much it yeah because it was like if you know if you wanted the uh, if you wanted the nice one you got the milt sparks if you wanted the target brand you got the uh the or the kirkland brand the costco brand mm-hmm. you got galco and then if you wanted kydex that was it it was like you know blade tech in a garage in puyallup i would i know because i actually went to that garage um and then along came uncle mike's the idpa kit you remember those like you would get a dual mag pouch and holster yeah that was pretty solid honestly that was not a terrible setup uh and it's so funny like watching how far holsters have come just in the time that we've been doing this because we have gone from you know just terrible terrible holsters to you know you can buy appendix carry holsters for guns with weapon mounted lights like full-sized crew served guns with weapon mounted lights and successfully conceal them with a moderate amount of effort yeah yeah we're definitely in a heyday there but uh, mm-hmm. speaking of that, let's shift gears into Taurus real quick while we still got about five, 10 minutes here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you are now, give me your official title for Taurus brand marketing manager. What is your focus with their, with the company and the brand? <laughs> You know, a lot of what I do is this. I do media relations. I talk to, you know, I, I talk to the press. I talk to uh, bloggers, YouTubers, writers, stuff like that. Um, I go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out amongst the people shooting matches with our guns and not like super tuned up versions of our guns. Like the gun that I shoot at idpa matches is a taurus model 82 which is a six shot 38 special revolver and i've changed one spring on it and that's it that's all i do with oh i painted the front sight orange i was gonna say you did that custom front sight job on it with nail polish there or whatever i technically i used a hang on let me look at what this thing says i used a liquitex paint marker so but uh no yeah so you know really what what my focus is with the brand is moving the needle on the perception of the product quality. Uh, we do 
the guns that we make are as good as many of the guns made by our competitors. And in some cases they're better. And the goal is to get people out there to, you know, hear that message and buy into it. You know, the days of, uh fall guns falling apart out of the box and that sort of thing are long in the past and i say that also with the understanding that we will make mistakes from time to time and if you don't believe that every single major manufacturer makes mistakes i've got news for you there i can't think of a single gun manufacturer that has that hasn't released a turd at some point including glock because we all remember the first glock 22s and how bad they were they were terrible guys yeah uh just as an example. So, but yeah, everybody, so we yeah, really what we're trying to do and what I'm trying to do is just move that needle and, you know, get people. I just want more people to shoot our guns because I firmly believe that the proof is in the product, right? If you get out there and you actually start cracking around, see like the new Toro revolvers or the TX 22s or the GX fours, you know, you're going to be like, you know what? These are, uh, these are pretty cool. Actually. I was uh, I was talking to Justin Dial right before we got on, and he was talking about the twenty two and and some of the stuff he's working with on a dot that doesn't move and and oh uh, yeah and he was you know both of us came to the conclusion while we were talking about the revolver line like I I said I never in my wildest dreams in a thousand years would have ever thought I would have uttered the phrase man I really like these new Taurus revolvers. Like, and, and that's you know, not a knock on the company. That's like, no, not at all. Uh, because I always like, I trained a lot of security guards back in the day uh, on contract. And a lot of them had that stainless kind of looked like a model 64 that mm-hmm. Taurus did. I can't remember the model number, uh, but I didn't even recognize that those were Taurus. And right. I got to say, like most of them performed really, really well. Uh, they were, they were just a robust service revolver and because the company that they were working for couldn't get model 64s anymore, like in the volume they needed. So they went to the alternative and I was, I was like, uh, the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh crap, this is going to be a long long day. day. Yeah. And at the end of the day, two model 64s went down and the Tauruses kept going. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. Like, with the revolver line, especially because that's where, you know, most of my expertise is and most of my trigger time is with the revolver line. It's always been pretty good. Uh, and there and there have definitely been periods in Taurus's history where the revolvers have not been that good. But they have they were good ones and they were really good in the past. They're really they're honestly really good right now. I mean, you've seen me shoot this 82, you know, 50 yards at a B-27 and punch the nine ring out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the. You know, and the new guns that we're making are really solid, you know, they're really solid guns. And it's one of those where I, I, like I said, I firmly believe that, like, if you're a revolver person and you're curious about the line, go get one. Because if you go on Gunbroker right now and you're like, hey, I want a three-inch 38 Special that holds six shots and it's like a Colt D-frame, except I'm not going to be upset about breaking it if it does break. Or I'm not worried about it going out of time when I double fire, uh, fire in double action. Go get the 856 Defender. It's like $300, and it's yeah. got a three-inch barrel. It's got a, you know an okay front sight on it, and uh, it's $300, I, I, and my, it works. Yeah. So. My, my dad and I have had some like little spirited discussions about it, and I was talking – like I just picked up a pound puppy Model 12 that somebody round-butt converted that was like 
I don't know who nice. did it with what belt sander. The gun oh. shoots great. But I'm like, here is a gun that if I had bought this uh, in 100% new condition would have been close to a grand. And oh, lo- yeah. luckily somebody took, just buffed all the collector value off of it. And I got it for a reasonable amount of money. And he's like, oh, there's so many of those floating around. And I'm like, there's less and less of them every day. And I can go pick up an 856 ultralight chamfer the cylinders, put a spring in it. And what did I like? And I'm out less than 400 bucks. Yeah. And, and if maybe. it, and if it falls out of the holster and skids down the stairs, I go, eh, go get another, oh, well. go get another one, whatever. Or, yeah. you know, Oh, there's my range gun. And I've got one I carry. Uh, and, yeah. and for those of us in the know, uh, if you do use your gun in a defensive set setting, then your two, three thousand dollar nineteen eleven is going to go to a police property room, and I can tell you from firsthand experience they don't treat those guns nice. And it's also probably going to stay there for a. It's here's here's some the the dirty little secret they don't tell you. You could have all charges again. You could never even get charged, and your gun might sit in that police property room for even longer. Like getting your gun out of that room. And I'm not saying don't carry an expensive gun because the police might take it when you shoot somebody, but getting your gun out of the police property room, depending on where you live, isn't so simple as the police coming to you and oh yes, it turns out this was a bad man that you shot. Here is your gun back sir that's not that's not how it works yeah i saw one night a uh <laughs> and it wasn't even a defensive use it was like a display of a firearm and it Oof. got taken for evidence and uh i'll just say it had the title super grade attached to it and i was like oh somebody put that in a soft case and they're like why and i'm like uh that gun that's about what my first car cost so let's Let's Ooh, like sad. Yeah. And, and fortunately the guy was of means. He's like, ah, it's all right. I, if I don't lose my concealed carry permit, I got like three more, but that ain't me, bro. Like I I'm on a budget, you know? And, uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I kind of look at Taurus as like, okay, do I carry a vintage model 12 and risk that that thing goes away forever and I never see it again? Or do I go this 856 ultralight? that I have less than $400 in is going to do all the things that gun does minus the collector value. Right. So, so I, I see yeah. some, some real benefit. And, uh, my first exposure to those was with you at revolver roundup. And I was like, there's no way I'm not going to like these guns. I'm going to hate them because everybody, you know, all these snobs hate them. And I went, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Right. Oh, this gun's pretty good. And we beat on that gun too, because I, after I finished teaching my block at Revolver Roundup, I just let people shoot it. Like we had a demo day, and I was like, yeah, just shoot the piss out of my gun. I don't care. And they shot the absolute hell out of that gun. And it was like, okay, wake me up when you give me something difficult to do. Yeah. And, and, and there again, what if that gun broke, what would you do? I would have taken my backup out of the bag and put that one on the table and let people shoot that. <laughs> right. And then that one would have, oh, here's the same gun. Yeah. Here's the same gun. Get after it. Uh, I mean, I put 50 rounds through your gun in the span of about, I don't know, 10 minutes. And I was like, this thing's going to choke any minute. Something's going to go. Wrong. And I'm like, Oh man. And I don't think I missed a plate with it. I missed one plate. No. And I'm like, 
uh, not this, this is, this is a different ball game. So I refuse to believe this is happening. It's funny because there is a YouTube video of me. That's like five, six years old where I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't recommend a Taurus revolver for personal protection. And that gets thrown back in my face from time to time. And I'm like, Hey man, five, six years ago, I was probably right about that. Yeah. Uh, it is also not five, six years ago anymore. And the guns are frigging great. So, you know what, if you, that, the, the, the last thing I'll say on that topic is, 99% of everybody is very excited about the direction the brand is moving. They're they're hopeful that we're going to be making really great guns and stuff like that. The ones that I don't understand are the people who are like rooting for us to fail. They're like, no, I refuse to believe Taurus could be good. I'm like, so wait, you don't want affordable, reliable defensive firearms. Like you don't mean to make a $300 nine mil that runs. I, I don't understand. Why would you not want that? Well, there's only one gun company that I root against, and we won't talk about that. So, uh, anyway, well, dude, we we are right about an hour. So, you got a Perfect. final closing thought of scenes from the kids' table, the the next generation of torch carrying wheel gunners or whatever. Uh, honestly, if you are at all on the fence, and this comes, you know, to circle back to something that you and I were talking about about missed training opportunities, if you have not gone to the revolver roundup and if you are at all on the fence about it i get it arizona's far you know you gotta travel the it's cold it's actually cold for as an fyi in november in the desert uh if you're on the fence do it you won't regret it even if it's just to walk the hollowed land at gun site you will not regret it and they are going to and there are guys in that class who at some point there are guys teaching there who at some point are going to retire and they're going to hang it up. And if you, and there are very few places short of that or tactical conference where you have the opportunity to have that many big meaty brains in one room teaching you about some shit. And it is in this case, very much almost a lost art. So yeah, get off the fence, go to gun sites, website, sign up, give them your money. You can do like a half down deposit. You don't have to give them the full 700 bucks. Right. All right, dude. Thanks for coming on, Caleb. A reminder. Well, before I say a reminder, thanks a bunch for scenes from the kids table. It's just me and Caleb having a conversation. So hope you guys enjoyed it. We kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit, but a reminder, Check out today's sponsors, ManusX, ManusX.com, CCWSafe, CCWSafe.com forward slash off duty 10. And of course, EDC Belt Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We're all over all of the major podcast platforms, whether you're an Apple user, an Android user, whatever. We're there. We're even on like Spotify with that Rogan dude. So that's kind of cool. The Off-Duty On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel 
when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.